Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill here, uh, first week of June, and certainly in an interesting time in our country. And you know, I think we want to discuss that a little bit to start this week's show because um, you know certainly we we've seen over the past week that the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the subsequent protests all over the country have certainly been uh, you know the, the news in the country and we've seen Ohio State athletes coaches become directly involved in this conversation as I think just about everybody has and I think it's an important conversation and you know, I know some of you are probably tuning in preferring to just hear us talk about football and probably want a distraction from all this and and we'll talk about some other stuff um as we get going further into the show here uh as well but i I do think it's important for us to uh, address this off the top because i think it's it's an important issue it's an important conversation and as we've seen over the past few days with you know the statements that have been made by people involved in Ohio State Athletics, both uh, on social media and out there in person in in the streets of Columbus as well, this is clearly an issue that is very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, and Ohio State athletes are absolutely no exception. Yeah, I don't think that either of us are you know, delusional about why anyone listens to this podcast. I don't think that anyone's coming here because they want to hear our takes on on politics or whatnot. But here's the thing about this issue, in my opinion, is, you know, we spend all year talking about these players and what what they're going to do as, as recruits when they get on campus, what they're going to do this season, what they're going to look like in future seasons. And, you know, we, we always just talk about what they are on the field. Um, and to an extent, you know, that is... That's our job. That's what people are interested in. But you do also have to, you know, take a step back at times and realize, um, you know, these, these these guys all have uh, all have an idea of what they want to, um, what who they are off the field too. Because um, you know they walk around as as um, you know within within the locker rooms, not um, people people just don't have an idea of necessarily who they all who they are off the field. And I think that um, we do our best job to, to try and shine a light onto that. But like this is an issue that I think when you look up and down the roster, specifically you can just see it on social media, how many players are affected by this, how many, how many people um, want their voices heard, and, and how many people you know, are supportive of what their teammates are doing, and how many people like Seth Towns are on the front lines of it and, and are protesting. Um, I think it deserves us to at least talk about and, and, and dive into a little bit, even though, you know, like you said, we're, we're going to talk about football, but, but this, is, this is so important to them that I think it's worth opening our ears and, and listening to them. We'll imagine that if, if you're going to listen to what we're saying now, you've probably been paying attention at least somewhat to the news and you probably have a general idea of what's going on in our country right now. So I'm not yeah. so we're not going to rehash that. But you know, we will just to quickly recap here, kind of how Ohio State has become involved in this conversation. Uh, on Friday, 
we saw uh, Chris Holtman, really, I think, one of the first major college coaches in either football or basketball who really came out and made a strong statement about this where, you know, I believe he quoted Martin Luther King Jr. And he, and he directly said in his statement, you know, how disturbed he's been by, you know, senseless violence against black men in this country and mentioned how this is a conversation that he and his players have regularly. These are things that they talk about regularly. And we saw uh, all of his assistant coaches comment as well. Uh, we saw several players comment as well. You know, later in the day, we saw you know Ryan Day comment, other football coaches, lots of football players have been commenting. You know, really since last Monday, there's been a lot of them have been commenting uh, about this situation. Uh, just as so many people have, and as as they as they should, as they uh, certainly uh, should feel free to you know speak their mind on on issues that are important to them. But you know, I think really where I think it probably really hit home for a lot of us, and you know, really showed how important this is to Ohio State athletes, to college athletes in general. If you aren't paying attention already, was when we learned that. Seth Towns had been participating in a protest in downtown Columbus on Friday, and he was detained. He was he was not arrested. He was uh, he was sent home afterwards. He was totally fine. wasn't charged with anything. And then you know back on Sunday, he he was right back out there again. He I mean he wasn't just out there participating in a protest. He was giving speeches to the crowd. He was leading this movement. In a way, I mean, he was on Sports Center on Saturday night, and he said, "His this is his quote. He said, there is a huge dilemma in this country right now that needs to be addressed, and I won't shut up. I won't stop. I will continue to use my voice to speak out for the people who aren't heard. And based on everything I know about Seth Towns, this is an issue that he has been passionate about for a long time. This is not something that he just decided this past week that he needed to speak up about. This is something that he has been." You know, involved in advocacy towards for many years. He went to Harvard. He's a graduate of Harvard. So you know, this is certainly someone who is very intelligent, very hardworking, and and somebody who certainly has always viewed himself as more than an athlete. Somebody who does not want to be defined solely for what he's going to do on the basketball court for Ohio State, and he's putting himself out there on the front lines. I mean, he's putting himself in harm's way because he feels so strongly that his voice needs to be out there and that this is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think there you can you can almost separate some athletes um, from, from basically any level into sort of two categories. I mean, one, there are people out on uh, who every time there's a social issue, they speak up. And then there are others who, who oftentimes, if there's if there's a social issue that's affecting people, they, they don't. And, you know, I think that from what I've seen of the Ohio State football and basketball players and coaches, what I've seen is the players who speak up are even louder than usual, and then the players that don't often speak up are all speaking up. And I think together as one, I mean, I just think that that's, to me, that is... If, I, if I'm having, I, I really just have two takeaways from this mainly, and it's and and when I'm when I'm talking about this from an Ohio State perspective, and just what I'm watching from from all of these athletes and coaches do is one, 
you know, I just think it's important to listen to them because we watch them, we hear, we, we, you know, we, we hear them in interviews throughout the season, um, and you want to talk about them, you want to analyze them, but you don't necessarily listen to them and what affects them on a, on a day-to-day life. And I think that that's so important. I mean, I'll just talk for me personally. Like, I'm white. My parents are white. I grew up in white areas. I attended predominantly white schools. Um, I had basically exclusively white teachers growing up. Um, I mean, we work at a place where most of the people are white and there isn't any, there are no black employees here. Um, And like, I think from my perspective, like personally, I don't know about you, Dan, but I've just been learning a lot just because I just, I've just taken the time to sit back and watch and listen to all of these people speak out and and you know it's one of those things where I'll never be able to necessarily feel exactly what these people are feeling but if you don't just take the time to sit back and listen then you're never going to learn the, the the way that, that you should I agree 100% um, you know same thing as you you know I like you I'm I'm a white man I have not been personally affected by these issues in the way that so many people have um and i have i mean the past week i have been listening a lot i have been reflecting a lot i've been trying to learn more about this situation uh because it's become so clear that we all need to learn more we, we all need to be be listening and that's certainly what i would encourage for our listeners is is to to listen to whatever people have to say about this. Listen to people who probably have a lot more insightful things to say about this than we do, um, because that's how you learn. But uh, you know, that's that's what I've really been trying to do the most is just listen, just be aware, just understand where people are coming from who may have had different experiences than my own. And I mean, I know you know for us, I mean that's super important because we are. We are constantly writing about covering athletes who come from very different backgrounds than we do, and and we need to understand their backgrounds. We and and we need to try to reflect, you know, their human experiences as as fairly as we can. And so I, I think it's really important, you know, for us specifically to to be aware of this conversation. But I think. You know, for you as an Ohio State fan, too, you're watching these athletes play. You're, you're rooting for them. You should try to understand where they are coming from, from a human perspective. You know, I, I think uh, Doug Lee Maurice from Cleveland.com wrote a really good column, I believe, Friday about this and just listening to them and understanding what they have to say. And that if you're an Ohio State fan and, and – and you're not willing to listen to what they have to say, then then maybe you should reevaluate the place that you're coming from. Because athletes are not just out there playing games for our enjoyment. They they are humans. They have real life issues and real concerns. And this is one issue that affects so many people. But I think in the in terms of college athletes, when we're we're talking about covering teams that are predominantly black, it it it, it, it especially affects them in a way that we need to understand it, 
everyone involved with those teams has to understand it. And the good thing from my perspective is, you know, seeing the way the football team has come together, seeing the way the men's basketball team has come together, you get the sense that everyone involved in those programs gets it. And certainly some of them are more personally affected by it than others, but I think those who aren't are trying to understand. And certainly that starts at the top with, you know, Ryan Day and Chris Holtman coaching those teams with Gene Smith as athletic director with Michael Drake as university president. And I think this is, I think, you know, I think this is one of those times, you know, Ohio state always talks about brotherhood. They always talk about family. This is one of those times where that brotherhood, that family gets tested. And so far, it, it certainly seems like that, that brotherhood is showing its strength. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things that to me is, has sort of struck me has just been watching the leadership throughout all this um, because I mean you have like you said you have Chris Holtman putting out a statement early on before Seth Towns had been detained um, and, and he might have been for all I know the first major D1 coach to, to do that because I, I really hadn't seen many many others uh, do that at that point and then you have all all three of his assistants quote tweeting it and supporting him and supporting the message. And then you have two white players, Kyle um, Kyle Young and Justin Arns, who are who also stand up um, and, and tweets themselves um, in support of in support of black people and, and their black teammates and, and and justice that they feel in the world. And then Seth Towns goes out there and gets detained. And he comes back the next night. He's on Sports Center. The, the the following day, he's out back in the streets protesting again. And and I'm just to to be honest, I'm just struck by the by the leadership throughout. And then you have Gene Smith, who comes and 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 he talked to you, Dan, for a story on Eleven Warriors this week about how he supports the right to protest and how he supports you know all of uh, all of these conversations about race going on. And and then you look on the football side of things. And one, I think the video that, that they did was very well done. I mean, you saw parents. I know Sean Wade's dad was, was um, on Twitter talking about how, you know, this makes him proud that his son goes to a school that cares about what happens in the world. You had, I saw Kayvon, Pop, Kayvon Pope's mom tweeting about how it made her tear up. Um, you had Teron Vincent tweeting about how every day he looks in the mirror and sees George Floyd. I mean, I just think that people made themselves vulnerable. I think that um, I think that you saw people stand up for for what they believe in, and then you saw others back them up. and 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 to be honest, it was it was inspiring to see all that. And and you know, I didn't necessarily expect all of that, um, but I think Ohio State. I was just I was just impressed by every level of of you know the response. And and I and I think it'll continue for you know the foreseeable future. But you know, I've just been impressed by the leadership and the ability. The, the ability by by players and coaches to put themselves out there and you know support what what they believe in and these conversations are necessary these conversations are healthy these conversations are important ultimately if the change is going to happen in the world that i think most of us want to see here that it has to start with conversation it has to start with listening to each other's perspectives and understanding each other's perspective and and, emp- and empathizing and I and I also think that when you think of s- 
people like Ohio State football players, you think of the Ohio State football team, and you think of the platform that they have and how many people look up to them, they have a powerful voice. If, if, if they start this conversation, I certainly hope that, that that will provoke people, maybe people who weren't thinking about it before, to hear what they have to say and think, you know, maybe I need to open my eyes a little bit. Maybe I need to learn more about what's going on. Maybe I need to understand why this is important. And, and that's why it matters for, for them to have a voice because so many people, you know, whether it's, you know, from young kids or, you know, even, you know, many, many adults who, who you know, idolize these players, who, who root for them, who, who look up to them. And I think that, you know, by, by using their platform to start that conversation, I think that can really go a long way toward, you know, hopefully, you know, bridging the gap and closing the divisiveness that is so clearly in our country right now and hopefully getting people to understand each other and, and to unify. Dan, when you, you know, there's going to be a point in time when this is going to feel like the, the distant past and, and you know, it's just hard to know when that'll be right now because we're in the midst of it. We don't know how long this is going to last, but you know, at some point you're going to look back on it. Um, which of these statements, which of these moments, which of these messages do you think has been the power, the, the most powerful that, that maybe you learned the most from that stuck with you that you've thought the most about? Man, that's tough. I mean, there's been, there's been so many, you know, over, over the past week. That I don't know that I can necessarily boil it down to just one, but I, I think for me, I, I think the general thing I've realized over you know the past week is the need to have these conversations and the need to not close myself off from being a part of that conversation because I think for me, I'm someone who from the time. You know, I've been a kid and I've, I've dreamed of being a sports writer. I've kind of allowed myself to be defined by that box of being a sports writer. And I think the past week has made me reflect on that and made me think more about, hey, I'm, I'm a human too. And, and, I, and I need to be involved in these conversations. A lot of times that is just listening because an issue like this I don't have all the answers. I am certainly not an expert, and there are so many people who have more important and personal insight on this than I do. But it also makes me realize that, hey, I have a voice too, and, and, and I need to use my platform for that. And, and that platform is probably not this podcast. It's, it's <laughs> not 11warriors.com. But it, it does make me think about that, that you know, hey, these are conversations that you need to be a part of, whether they slightly involve sports or not. And I mean, in our case, we've been pushed into it thanks to people like Seth Towns, people like C.J. Saunders. They've forced us to be in this conversation because of their own actions. But you know, we sh we should be anyway because we're n we're not just sports writers; we're humans. And I think that would be my encouragement to you as a listener, you as an Ohio State fan, is is just listen, be a part of this conversation. This is this is an important moment in our country right now, and I know a lot of people 
would rather block it out and just be be distracted. I mean, there's times where I sit there and I go, man, like, you know, this is so stressful. Like, I just want to focus on sports again. But the reality is, it, it, it's important. It, it's not something that any of us should be trying to just block out and distract ourselves from completely because it's a too it's too important and it affects too many people for us to just pretend it doesn't exist. We, we, we need to pay attention to it. Sometimes that discomfort is good because it forces us to think a little harder about things that we typically don't. That was well said. I'm <laughs> I'm glad. I, I, no, I, I, I think that was, and and um, you know, I, I, I like you. Um, I, it, it, I think it's just been an enlightening time. Um, it's not that, it's not that I discovered that racism and police brutality were issues in the world, but I think when you sit back and you see all of these people who you cover on a day-to-day basis, who you watch every Saturday in the fall, who are who are talking. Um, about all of these issues at the same time, it makes you realize just how just how important this is to them. And I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be your number one issue. When we say listen to them, it doesn't mean, all right, we expect you to go out and protest on the front lines. But I just think it's important to better understand where they're coming from, who they are, what their backgrounds are. Because, you know, like me personally, I'll, I'll never be able to know like what it's like to be Seth Towns growing up where he grew up, what he's been through. Um, I'll never be able to understand Taraja Mitchell's background fully because I've never, I didn't live it. But I think that if you allow yourself to be open and you open your ears when people are telling you that, you know, they're hurting, that these are issues that matter to them, then I think it benefits everybody. And you don't have to immediately come back with an opinion on it. I think that sometimes it's better to sit back understand where they're coming from and, and process that and, and to be honest that's sort of what I've done the past week and and I've, I've I've been happy to learn from them because I can tell how much of a how big of a deal this is to, to everybody who we cover on a year-round basis you asked about a specific message and and, and as you were talking I, I I thought about this was one point from from Gene Smith where you know he, he said we've been here before but but we've never really fixed it. So be a part of a solution to fix it. And, and continuing on, he said, my concern now is we'll be sitting here in June 1, 2021, and things would have subsided and hopefully even COVID-19 is behind us and nothing's changed. So how do we make sure that doesn't happen again? How do we come up with some type of tactics, strategies to employ? I don't think you're ever going to totally eradicate racism in my time, but we can certainly mitigate it and expose it. And I bring that up because in a minute here, we are going to move on to talking about other topics because there's only so much we can say about this. And, you know, I, I think, you know, it's healthy for us to talk about some other stuff as well. But I, I bring that point up. That point did really stick with me because I do think that's important for us to remember here is, yeah, we're not going to be talking about this every week. Uh, and, you know, come fall, you know, we're, we're going to be talking uh, about football again we're going to be talking about these guys mostly for what they're doing on the field i mean even next week voluntary workout start at ohio state we're, we're going to be talking more about what these guys are doing on the field most likely than than what they're doing out in their community but we shouldn't forget about it we we this shouldn't be a thing where we think about it for one week and then we forget about it until the next bad thing happens as we open our mind and allow these conversations in 
we need, we need to continue to have them. We need we need to continue to to think about these things. It might not be on this podcast, but you know, I, I think all of us we, we shouldn't just listen for a week and then forget about it. I think we need to understand why this is happening now, and and hopefully enlighten us in a way that we know that you know these are conversations that can need to continue to happen until there is some actual change that hopefully leads to these awful things that have happened in recent years to not be continuing to happen the way they are right now should we talk football i think we can and i think it it ties into this a little bit it does and it's it's kind of why i thought about it and i wrote about it on on tuesday and I kind of started thinking about it after watching the video that the team did on Monday and some conversations that, you know, Colin and I had had off air just kind of about the leadership that players are, are showing. And it kind of got me thinking about, okay, who are the team captains going to be for this upcoming season? And and I started thinking about it. And the first my first thought was, wow, Ohio State has a lot of potential captains. Ohio State has a lot of potential leaders and we'll run through those in a minute but I also think about it because I think with everything that's gone on these past few months between the COVID-19 pandemic and now all this civil unrest and, and protests against racial violence and police brutality and all these athletes coming out there speaking their mind I think strong leadership is going to be as important, and I, I, I shouldn't just say strong leadership, but more specifically, strong player leadership is going to be as important as it's ever been for a college sports team. And I think Ohio State is well positioned to have that. Yeah, and and I'll and I'll go off that too, and I'll say veterans. I think veterans at key positions matters so much right now, um, and that's what Ohio State has. I mean, you saw the guys in the video were almost all potential captains and they were all veterans and they were people who I think just are thoughtful guys and they're also people who who the rest of the team look up to and you know when when that video was going I think you know when like you said we talked about this a little bit the other day when that video was playing I was just sort of I was struck by how many guys um, Ohio State has that I think are captain material and you know we can we can run through them, Dan. I don't know how, how you want to necessarily do this because I know you wrote about it, so you take the lead on this. Yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I was, you know, for the article I wrote on the website, I kind of pre- I predicted seven captains because that's the number Ohio State's had for three of the last four years. There's really no set number, so it could potentially be more, potentially be less. But personally, I'd be surprised if it was less because I just think there's so many strong candidates for this year that. Uh, I think there's going to be at least seven, uh, would be my opinion. And then I, I did those seven, and then I also looked at another seven who I think uh, are guys who wouldn't surprise me if they ended up being captains. You know, so you, so you start the conversation. You know, I think Tough Borland, Jonathan Cooper, C.J. Saunders, all guys who were captains last year. Tough Borland, he's almost certainly going to be the second free-time captain in Ohio State history, joining J.T. Barrett, Jonathan Cooper captain last year obviously wasn't expected that he would be back again this year but after taking that red shirt last year I'd be pretty shocked if he wasn't a leader and then CJ Saunders just based on the reactions that I saw on Twitter all day on 
on Tuesday after he was arrested following a, a protest that I will say that at the time we're recording, Ohio State has not released any statement on this, so we don't know with 100% certainty that he was actually involved in that protest, but based on the reactions of players, it it would certainly seem like they believe that he was or, or they know that he was and that they fully support him, which uh, I think if there was any doubt about him being a captain before, it, it seems like that has only grown stronger over the 24 hours before this podcast will be published. Yeah, no, he's going to be a captain. I mean, all, all three of those, I think... I don't. I don't think any of them are necessarily all American candidates. Um, Tough Boylan, Jonathan Cooper, and C.J. Saunders. But I think that when you talk to to players on the team, I mean, these are three of the guys that they respect wholeheartedly. I mean, Tough Borland, the fact that he was a captain as a as a redshirt sophomore, I think that tells you all you need to know. Um, Jonathan Cooper's been a, been a guy that you know last year they took to Big Ten Media Day because they want him representing the program. And C.J. Saunders is the guy who you know. Going from walk-on to captain is an absolutely crazy feat, and um, in doing so, you know, last year obviously he didn't play, but you know, we heard about the, his his speech at halftime of the Big Ten title game, um, and people really people really mentioned that as, as one of the reasons why Ohio State was able to, to to thrive in the second half of that game. And I think you have those three. Sure, they're not Justin Fields. They're not the guys who are going to to lead Ohio State to a national championship on their backs. But I think that is a great bedrock for for what their captains uh, can be. And typically when you're a captain once, you're going to be a captain again if you're on the team next year unless there's been some reason that you wouldn't be. And I think for those three guys, their respect within their team has only grown. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, The other guys, I, I, I think that... I think there is a as deep a as deep a list of, of other guys who could be captains as could be. Dan, it, who is who is the guy who wasn't a captain last year who you're most sure will be a captain this fall? Justin Fields. <laughs> okay, that was too easy. I don't even know why I asked that. Who is no? I mean, I'd just be shocked likely? if he wasn't. I mean, yeah. I think we saw last year in his first year on the team the kind of leader that he became, the way the team rallied around him. He's also the best player on the team, as you mentioned, and clearly the face of a team. I would be stunned if he wasn't a captain. So would I. Um, let me rephrase and say who is uh, the most likely, who isn't a returning quarter, returning starting quarterback and Heisman Trophy finalist? I, I think I'd go Wyatt Davis because, I mean, we just heard Mickey Marotti say a couple weeks ago about how Wyatt Davis gave the best speech in an off-season program that he's ever seen, and I mean, again, I mean, you're talking about an All-American player, a fantastic player, but a guy who I think you've just seen grow and grow as a leader, especially over this past year. And I think now that he's got that that starting experience under his belt, uh, you know, he he's a guy that to me just really seems like he's on a clear-cut path to becoming a captain. And I think he's a guy, you know, both of his play on the field and as a vocal presence is going to be one of the the top guys in that locker room this year. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when we when we get to be on the sideline before games, which, you know, probably won't happen this fall, but in the past uh, we, we always have. And, you know, 
we, we obviously throughout the week we're not watching practices. We can't see you know who's firing the guys up and whatnot. But you do get a sense in pregame of you know who who's a fiery guy. Who's the who's the guy that that players rally around? And you know like when I look at the linebackers, like Al Washington. Um, stands out to me. Al Washington, I'll just watch give a speech to his linebackers all day. He is he's incredible at that. Um, but when I look at the offensive line, like Wyatt Davis has a knack for it. And when Mickey Marotti said that about him giving the best speech during one of workouts he'd ever heard, that wasn't really much of a surprise because he's someone who pours who pours himself into this game and, and pours himself into, you know, what he can become in, in this team as a as a whole. And I think that I do think that you know when he's at the front of uh, of an offensive line that, like we've said over and over, could be one of the best in the country. Um, that's that that is a heck of a starting point. And I know on the list you also have Josh Myers, who I think is a, a top candidate as well. I mean, he's a guy who obviously grew up in Ohio. He was he, he was born a, an Ohio State fan, and he grew up. and And I do think that you know this is time for for Ohio State to have two interior offensive linemen as captains. And and I will say. If Harry Miller's the third guy on that offensive line, that is that is a lot of leadership on an interior offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of like a it's kind of like a Billy Price Pat offline from a few years ago in terms yeah. of uh, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers both being two guys who really have a huge presence in the locker room, a huge presence in the team. And I mean, and I just go back to this: we have talked to two players since the COVID nineteen pandemic started. And that have been Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers. And they're being selected for that for a reason. And it's because they're tremendous representatives of the team. And, and I think the fact that they were the guys who were chosen to be the first players to speak about, you know, how this pandemic has affected them says a lot about the way they are respected by their their teammates and coaches and, and guys who are trusted to serve as spokesmen for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other guys who you mentioned as candidates, I think Sean Wade's up there for me. Um, I I mean he's when you just look at the secondary, like that is a unit that absolutely needs leadership, um, and and he's someone who I think can can really thrive in in that area because you know the past couple seasons he's obviously been overshadowed. I mean just last year it was Jordan Fuller who was a captain, and then you also had Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda. Um, out there with him at cornerback and um, I know in talking to to his dad for a story I did a little while ago you know being a leader is 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 something that they that in that household they talk about a lot Um, and and they he was telling me about how you know when they watched the last dance when that was on every Sunday they'd watch it together and they'd talk about you know the differences between Kobe and LeBron and Michael Jordan and, and what works and what doesn't and, and I, you know one of the things that was 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 most memorable to me is you know he was talking about how you know sometimes you have to make it uncomfortable and you don't want to first have the uncomfortability show up in the in the closing game you want to be uncomfortable earlier in the season so that when things get difficult you're okay and you can adjust on the fly and I thought that that was you know that's a, that is a smart thing to be talking to your son about when it's just the, the middle of the summer and he can't even be around his guys. But, you know, he's someone who I think absolutely has to step up. And, and I mean, sometimes when we talk about leadership, it's like, what, in the, what are we really talking about? I think that, I think that the leadership that, that Sean can show is, is bringing along 
um, all of the younger guys because there are so many players who are going to be stepping up in that secondary into roles that they just hadn't had beforehand, whether that's Cam Brown, Seven Banks, Marcus Williamson, who's a senior, um, Tyreek Johnson, Josh Proctor, Marcus Hooker. I mean, all of those guys will be stepping into to, to fairly significant roles, um, and, and he has to be there for them. I think it's important as, as much as, any, as anybody else on this list that he is a leader. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that he is going to be the leader of the secondary, and 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 he has to be, and and I, and I think that's a good point. And I think you know, other than Justin Fields at quarterback, I mean, he he's a guy who, for his specific position group, his leadership might be the most important, just because he is the only returning starter, he is the only guy with a ton of playing experience. So I don't think there's any doubt that you know he needs to be a leader for that group, and you know he could certainly be a team captain and in making my predictions for the site it was really hard because I started with you know, I started with Borland, Cooper and Saunders and then I went with Fields, Davis and Myers. That so in picking only seven, that left me with only one spot and, and I looked at it and said, three guys who I can really, really see being captains this year are Pete Werner, Sean Wade and, and Chris Olave. You know, Chris Olave is a guy who I think uh, is absolutely expected to be a leader in that receiver room this year. Uh, we've seen a lot of captains at that position. I mean, he's a guy, you know, when the coaches were asked about, you know, what happened at the end of a Clemson game last year, they just talked about how much he cares, how much of a competitor he is, and I think that speaks to somebody who's who has the qualities uh, to be a team captain. But I ultimately went with Pete Warner because Pete Warner is one of those guys, you know, I just think back to when he was a freshman and he was playing on special teams, but I think back to urban meyer just raving about him and just you know how well he was coming along and saying you know buy stock in this guy now for his career and i i remember sitting there then and thinking pete warner is going to be a future captain of ohio state football the way they're talking about him and i haven't seen anything over the last few years that would suggest any differently because we saw you know especially this past year you know, him becoming one of the most important players on that defense you know he's a guy who i think his work ethic uh you know his leading by example particularly uh, always draws a lot of praise and so and so he's a guy that I've had earmarked in the back of my mind for a few years now as a guy who at this point in his career as a senior was going to be a captain so you know it'll be interesting to see you know how many captains there are on this team but you know that was a guy I just felt like I couldn't leave off a list is there anyone else so I, I do think if we're gonna tier like if we're going to have tiers of, you know, who is uh, tier one, tier two, I think that if there's a tier between two and three, I do think it drops off a little bit. And I think that, you know, most of the guys that we talked about already are the most likely captains. But, you know, is there anybody else who might be, you know, maybe maybe we're overlooking them right now and we're underrating their their uh, their, their captainship um, right now who you think could be in that mix this fall? Yeah, I mean, you think of a, a Luke Farrell, who's a third-year starter at, at tight end, a fifth-year senior. You know, he's a guy. You know, mostly because of a position he plays, kind of goes about his business quietly. But you know, I think he's a guy who certainly has a presence within the team, and wouldn't shock me if he was a captain. Thayer Munford, uh, in, in terms of snaps played, is the most experienced player on the team. He's he's a third-year starter at left tackle, so certainly on that offensive line, he's another guy who I think. Uh, you know, certainly could be a captain. I think of a Justin Hilliard. I mean, nobody's been on the team longer than Justin Hilliard. He was in the recruiting class 
of 2015, but he's a guy that people always talk about his character and his maturity, and I think the toughness that he's shown in overcoming so many injuries has gained him so much respect within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being a captain. And I, and I think of a Master Teague, who's only a redshirt sophomore, and I think most likely, you know, I, I most likely Master Teague will be a captain in 2021 or 2022. This this probably isn't his year yet, but I think of this past weekend, and I think of the statement that he put out on Twitter, you know, calling for responding to injustice with positivity, and then I think of seeing Ryan Day retweet that, and I think of seeing. You know Tony Alford and Larry Johnson retweet that, and I think of the fact that this isn't the first time in the past few months that he has put something out there that's a powerful statement that a lot of people have retweeted and a lot of people have praised him for. And I look at that and I say, this is a guy who's a leader. This is a guy who absolutely could be could be chosen as a captain by his teammates. So uh, you know that's another guy I can't leave off the list as a guy who I think at some point in his career he's going to be a captain I don't know if it'll be this year but I certainly would not rule it out yeah I think he follows in the category of the Nets two guys I'll mention too which are Harry Miller and Taraji Mitchell who I don't think are going to be captains this year that would surprise me but I mean, Harry Miller, whenever you talk to him, I feel like he gets smarter. He's like one of those guys um, who, you know, everybody's going to rave about and everybody has raved about, and it's all for good reason. Um, he is he is everything you want from, from a player off the field. And then you have Taraja Mitchell, too, who has clearly gained um, a lot of respect from his teammates, and he's someone who you see um, on social media speaking the most about, about all these protests right now and the injustice that he sees in the world um, and I think those two are guys who you know maybe because of their roles and because they just haven't it's not like they've been starters before um, I don't necessarily think they're going to be captains this year but I think that they have potential to be leaders down the line and I think when you have leaders down the line in the pipeline playing the roles that they do I think Ohio State can only benefit from them. We've been doing our weekly State of the Position series here on Real Pod Wednesdays, and, and this week you wrote about the tight ends, and we'll now you know talk some more about the tight ends. And we just mentioned Luke Farrell, him being a leader of that group, certainly as a fifth-year senior, third-year starter. Jeremy Ruckert's a guy who played a lot last year, and going into his third year at Ohio State is, is a guy that... I think a lot of people have expectations for him. And Jake Hausman's another fifth-year senior who hasn't had the kind of career that people expected when he came to Ohio State as a highly touted recruit. But we did see him get some playing time last year. You know, I think he's a guy who's, who's gained the coach's trust and is a guy who I think is going to be in line for at least some playing time this year as well. So you, you look at having you know three really strong veterans leading that group. You know, I think this is one of those positions. I mean, always the first thing that comes up with tight ends is how many how many passes are they going to catch, and and it's never a flashy position at, at Ohio State just because of the way Ohio State runs its offense. But I think this is a really strong group that just you know just in terms of you know the strength of a position group, it may not necessarily be the most impactful position group on the team. But I think this is one of the stronger position groups top to bottom just in terms of the experience and quality of experience that they have there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not breaking news when I say that 
this is like the least flashy position group on the team by four miles. I mean, like, what's the, Dan, what's the most interesting thing that you know about Luke Farrell? It's not a whole lot. I mean, he's 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 not a big talker. He's not somebody that uh, typically uh, has a ton to say in interview sessions, which is fine. Uh, but you're right. There's not a, there's not a whole lot of um, there's not a whole lot of flash with these guys. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Jeremy Ruckert's a guy who's made a couple big plays and a guy who I think people still have really high expectations for. And you know, maybe this is the year that you know he breaks out and has a bigger year production wise but you know history also tells us that it's probably not likely that an Ohio State tight end is going to put up huge numbers this year yeah I mean my point being is that um, I'm I'm not expecting that this that this group's going to win Ohio State the national championship um, what I am expecting is this group is going to be really solid and I think it's going to be steady I think it's going to be consistent I think it's got a good mix of, of a potentially dynamic receiver and Jeremy Ruckert uh, a, a strong blocker and Jake Hausman and someone who can do a little bit of both and Luke Farrell and I think that it I, I don't think that we're gonna really look look at this throughout the fall and be like well this is this is why Ohio State's winning games the tight end it's just not a flashy position and Ohio State doesn't have flashy guys there right now um, but that doesn't that, that shouldn't color our, our evaluation of the group and I think that that's my point I think that this is going to I think like you said this is going to be a really this is going to be a really good position group um, led by a potential captain Luke Farrell and someone in, in Jeremy Ruckert who I think could be um, the best receiving tight end Ohio State's had in a while um, the question is and and sure Let's not ask the question of, you know, is this going to be the year that Ohio State starts throwing to the tight end? Because we know the answer is no. But <laughs> what is a reasonable expectation for Jeremy Record, Dan? Because he's someone who I haven't written it yet. At some point, I will this offseason. This offseason is a long one. There's no, there's no reason to rush anything. But I think that, I think that he's someone who, if Ohio State doesn't get it, get involved more in, in the offense. I just think they're doing a disservice to themselves, not even Jeremy Ruckert, because to me he's he's such a he's such a massive disadvantage. And Ohio State, it's replacing four rotation wide receivers. They 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 need they need a guy in, in my opinion, or, or not they need they could use a guy in my opinion like Jeremy Ruckert to to take some of those targets away and 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 relieve some of the pressure on some of the younger, less experienced wide receivers. What what do you, how do you see it? I'm going to go somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 30 catches because... And that would he be had, twice as much. That would be yes, he had 14 last year. So I think, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I think he's got the talent where if you, if you decide to utilize him, I mean, he could easily have, you know, 30 catches this year. He could easily have much bigger numbers. But, uh, you know, history would suggest that they're not going to start throwing Jeremy Rucker for ball five times a game and he's still going to be splitting snaps with Luke Farrell he's still going to be splitting snaps with Jake Hausman so I, I think anything more than that would be projecting too much but I do think there will be at least a somewhat significant jump in production there and I think you know so that goes back to what you said because you know I, I think from a trust factor you know I think we, we talk so much about the talent of the wide receivers and there's no doubt that they have it 
But in terms of a trust factor, you know, you've got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. But I think you can go into the season and say Farrell and Rucker, they're probably both in that top four of guys if a receiver tight end possession that are going to be that trusted guy, a guy that you can trust to go make a play. So I, I think you're going to continue to see a lot of two tight end sets this year. Uh, and, and I think there could certainly be at least a slight increase in opportunities for you know passes of a tight end. I don't think it's going to be a drastic increase because we talk about this every year and it never happens. But I, I do think, like you said, I mean, I think everybody remembers the quotes from Urban Meyer about this is the most talented tight end I've ever recruited. If that's true, and, and from what I've seen, I, I think he really is a really talented guy. Going into his third year, his role's got to expand. You, you, you've got to find a way to really take advantage of those talents because 14 catches isn't enough for the guy who Urban Meyer said was the most talented tight end he's ever recruited. Yeah, that's literally one catch a game. That's right. That is that's not that that's not that crazy. I mean, Justin Fields completed 238 passes. Luke Farrell had seven catches. Jeremy Record had 14. Um, I don't think that they're going to go crazy, but I but I will say um, I think that I think the reason why I, I'm optimistic that Ohio Ohio State gets Jeremy Record more involved in the offense is just. When we, when we think about what Justin Fields can become and what he can add to his game, like we didn't see a ton of him working in the middle of the field. Um, we saw a lot of those out routes. We saw a lot of him working down the field on the outside. We didn't see a ton in the middle. Um, and maybe Ohio State just thought it had better matchups on the outside. It, it, they thought it, their personnel and, and their schemes would work better that way. But I do wonder if they try and expand Justin Fields' game and have him attack the middle of the field a little bit more could that lead to more opportunities for the tight ends? And I think that that's a real legitimate possibility, and I think that's where someone like Jeremy Ruckert could could stand out. Yeah, and I think you know I think Ruckert just specifically you know has a, a skill set in terms of you know his size, his speed. You know I think a guy like Luke Farrell, he's just not a guy who's going to stretch the field. You know he's he's a really good blocker. He's a good solid, you know, short to intermediate pass catcher, but he's not a guy who you're going to expect to make a big play over the middle. But Ruckert has that kind of ability. He has that ability to create those kind of mismatches and give you another kind of weapon in the offense. So I think if you can find a way, you know, to take advantage of that, you know, to utilize that as him being a playmaker in the middle of a field, I think you certainly should try. Yeah, so the other the other guy that we have to mention, of course, the tight end right now is Kate Stover because, I mean, he's someone who came in at linebacker and we were talking about him potentially, you know, being a, the Nets' great linebacker, a weak side, strong side linebacker at Ohio State, and he outgrew that, moved to defensive end during the, during the season as a freshman, and then the offseason hits, and now he's a tight end. And I think that one... Yes, it's fascinating the, the, that, I, that he ended up in this position. But two, when I look at Ohio State and what they have um, in future years beyond just 2020, you know, there's actually a pretty fair amount of pressure on, on Kate Stover to work out when, the, the way I see it. Because, you know, Nets fall um, in 2021. Luke Farrell and Jake Hausman will be gone. Who knows? There's a world in which Jeremy Record has a really big year and he, and he goes to the NFL. Like I don't think that'll happen, but you have to view that as a as an actual possibility. Um, 
if that happened, Gates Dover would be the most veteran tight end on the team. And if that didn't happen, well, he'd still probably be the backup um, in 2021 with, with one year of experience as a tight end. So to me, I see I see a pretty decent amount of pressure on this to work out. And, and you know, if I were playing the other side of this, I would also mention, though, that Ohio State has a ton of highly ranked wide receivers coming in. So there's probably less pressure for Ohio State to, to have multiple tight end sets readily available. Um, and I think that I think that's something to at least keep in mind. But I think that there is a decent amount of pressure for this to work out just because the, the way the numbers work out and, you know, in 2021 at the moment, it's going to be it's going to be uh, Jeremy Ruckert, Cade Stover, Joe Royer, and then whichever freshman they bring in right now. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think Cade Stover. You know, I just think too, just back on you know him coming in as a recruit, and I think there's a guy there was a lot of excitement around him, and you know a lot of people like you said, and they thought he'd be a great linebacker, and then they moved him to defensive end, and now they've moved him to tight end, and so you know if it doesn't work out then I think a lot of people are going to look at it and say, well, you know, should you really have moved him? You know, should he, should he have stayed on defense? So I think if you're going to make that move and, and put him at tight end, you certainly want to see it work out. You certainly want to see him, you know, become, you know, a playmaker for the offense because he was, you know, a pretty highly touted recruit, uh, you know, coming out of, of Lexington in, in, in Ohio. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, you, you, it's at least somewhat important for it to work out. You know, I think the two tight end sets that we saw last year, I think at least as long as Kevin Wilson's at Ohio State, I think that's something that Ohio State is going to want to continue to be able to do. So even if you assume Ruckert will be back for 2021, you, you, you're going to need a second tight end to be able to step into that role if you want to continue to do that. So I think this will be a developmental year for Cade Stover. You know, I, I don't think we'll see him play much this year except for you know, late in games. But I think you, I think this is an important year of development for him to be ready to play in 2021 because, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Joe Royer's coming in this year. Uh, Sam Hart is, is coming in next year. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of buzz that Hudson Wolf could also join him in the 2021 class. So, you know, there's some guys lined up for the future. But I think in terms of guys who could contribute next year, you would hope that Kate Stover can be that guy to potentially break out of a position a year from now. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at um, you know how Ohio State's set up in a, a post-Jeremy Record world if we look that far ahead um, because they would have Cade Stover and then they'd have Joe Royer and, and Sam Hart and you know maybe a Hudson Wolf, um, although I know our Andrew Ellis has said that you know Tennessee is a real player right now for him as well. Um, that's... If, if, if we're being honest, like it's not like we look at that and say, wow, Ohio State's really going to be loaded at tight end. The caveat to that being that I'm not sure the way that Ohio State plays its tight ends, you necessarily have to be loaded. And, and I don't want that to, like, I feel like that could come off as being, like, super homery. <laughs> like, we cover Ohio State, so this is, this is, you know, put on the roads colored glasses. Ohio State doesn't have to have good players at tight end. But if we're being honest, if we take a step back, like the way that Ohio State uses tight ends, they're not they're not game breaking weapons. They're not the like I said earlier, they're not the people who are going to be winning the national championships. They're going to be solid players, and Ohio State benefits from having good tight ends. But if I'm ranking the importance of the position groups at Ohio State, 
tight ends to me are last. Well, the other thing, to be completely honest, is because they don't throw to the tight ends that much, you know, I, I question how much appeal you have at Ohio State to a top recruit at the position. You know, where uh, you, you come to Ohio State, you just might not get the ball thrown your way that much. You know, Jeremy Rucker chose to make that decision. You know, I mean, I think, you know, Hudson Wolf's a guy who's, you know, quite highly regarded. But if, if Ohio State gets him, that would be a big get. But, you know, I, I do, I think, you know, you might struggle to get the, you know, elite players in classes at that position that you do at some other positions just because your your precedent is that you're just not throwing the ball very that much. And, you know, you look at how the wide receivers they're adding up in these classes. It's going to be a lot of competition uh, especially going forward for, you know, tight ends to have passes thrown their way. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's still important to have good tight ends because I think, you know, I think the thing that always gets overlooked with the tight ends is that, yeah, they don't get the ball that much, but they are important blocking. I mean, it, when you mm-hmm. think of how good Ohio State's offensive line was, especially in the run game, the tight ends were an extension of that. They were also excellent run blockers. They helped lead the way, and, and they're going to continue to help lead the way. So y- you need good tight ends. I think what you're saying is you don't necessarily need elite tight ends, and I think you're right about that. I think if you've got a lot of elite talent around them, you don't necessarily need elite tight ends at Ohio State to win a national championship. But you, you still want to have you know some good, solid veteran players in there. They do right now. You know, we'll see how players develop in terms of allowing that to happen for the future. Yeah, I'm not personally. I'm not even saying they need good tight ends to win a national championship. I think you just need fine tight ends. I think the way that Ohio State does it, as long as you have guys who are solid blockers, um, whatever they offer through the passing game, fine. I think that that's okay, um, and that's why I'm interested to see how they use Jeremy Rucker and if they actually take advantage of him, because just based on past history. I'm not sure that there's a ton of reason to, to believe that Ohio State's really going to get him involved in the passing game. But to me, it's like, well, you finally have this guy on the roster. Like, you might as well get him the ball in ways that will benefit you. Um, and and I think Ohio State's done just fine in the past not doing that. But, you know, they, they have the guy right now to do it with. And, and, you know, I'm interested to see if they can actually figure out a way to make that happen with some degree of consistency. Getting now to some of your questions that you submitted for this week's episode. Uh, we'll start with Dan Moss or, or Dan Miss, however it's pronounced. He is this is kind of long, so I'll just kind of read through uh, what what he said, and then we'll react to it. He said, "Can you imagine a scenario as follows? The season starts, but some teams are hit with players who test positive for COVID-19, so they isolate those players." quarantine all that came in to contact them but they let the rest of the team play so for example uh if that happened to buffalo and they play ohio state you know that that could be a real blowout and secondly then you know you could have a team come in if they test positive then you know that could potentially take another team out and then they have to be quarantined for two weeks and they would miss games so ultimately his question is you know how will that affect a team's chances of winning the conference and or being selected for the playoff. He says, he says, I mean, what if Ohio State finishes 8-0 because of a quarantine or because teams on their schedule have to cancel because of their quarantines? Something like that happened back in 1918. 
Well, you know, I think for the simple answer to your question is we really don't know because this is an unprecedented situation. We're still not at the point of knowing exactly what's going to happen if players test positive during the season, if games are canceled. Uh, as of now, everybody's still hoping, fingers crossed, that they're going to be able to play all their games. So I don't think anyone has really gotten to that point. I know when you know Bill Hancock from a college football playoff has been asked about it, you know he really hasn't said much. He's kind of said, you know, we're still planning for a full season, and if we have to adjust, we will. So I think it's still all up in the air. I mean, especially in the college football playoff era. I mean, there was no college football playoff in 1918. So uh, <laughs> we really can't look to that, unfortunately, for any guidance on that. But you know, I think everyone's going to have to be a little flexible this year. I mean, I think you know the the, the reality of an outbreak and a team being unable to play in a game, you know, at the last minute, I think that's real. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be any way to completely avoid that. I mean, everybody's hoping they will, but, you know, I, I do think, you know, everyone's going to have to be willing to adapt to situations that might arise this year. And I think it's probably not going to be perfect, to be completely honest, because uh, I, I think there's going to be situations that arise, whether, you know, it's games that are canceled before the season or whatever, where there's probably going to be teams that don't get to play their full schedule. And so I, I do think there could come a case of having to compare teams that have played different numbers of games or, you know, maybe teams have to schedule last-minute games against FCS opponents or something that water down their schedule. And do you penalize a team for that when they've had, you know, this unusual circumstance? I really don't have a good answer for it because we just don't know at this point. But I do think there's going to have to be some flexibility. And I think to some extent, I think we all kind of have to accept, okay, this isn't going to be a completely normal football season. There's probably going to be some variables thrown in the way. Uh, let's hope we get as much football as possible with you know, as many fans in the stands as can, there can safely be. And you know, hopefully try to keep that in perspective and be happy with what we get this fall. But I do think in terms of you know, a college football playoff or anything like that, uh, you know, there could definitely be some different variables, some challenging conversations that need to be considered in, in terms of trying to select a playoff field in a year like this. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know your question hits on one of my biggest questions that remains, which is what happens if players test positive and how often are they going to test? Because I'm going to be honest, like players are returning to Ohio State's campus to begin voluntary workouts on June 8th. And from what Gene Smith has said, there isn't going to be testing regularly for them and you know I'm not even sure he he certainly hasn't said whether they'll be testing um, when they get to campus initially and like to me like I don't know that seems a little bit crazy that that um, player that that if that if coronavirus is such a big deal to, to them that um, they wouldn't be testing with some degree of regularity and I understand that you know that's a difficult solution that there is no easy solution right there and I think that that's a difficult problem for them to have but I don't necessarily think they really have a good solution at the moment and so if we're going to talk about like what happens during a season if someone tests positive and I think that that's that's just really hard to know um and like you said I think it's damn near impossible to to really predict right now um especially if we start talking about the the playoff and whatnot because I mean I I don't know. As we sit here today, it's so funny, Dan. Like, I just spent the past week not even thinking about the coronavirus for the first time right. since 
forever it feels like like months um and the and and it is true though like that is still a really big deal and i'm not sure that i fully believe at the moment in ohio state's plans right now just because there are things there are questions that i have that are that remain unanswered and i'm not sure necessarily when we're going to get them answered yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely still that question about what happens when there's a positive test and, you know, who all would have to be taken off the field if that happens. And all right, we still haven't gotten to a point, even though there's some other sports that have started back up again, I don't think we've gotten to a point where, uh, you know, probably just because of the nature of a sport, you know, NASCAR is a sport where, you know, guys are in their cars and they're not making physical contact with each other. You know, UFC, it's different fighters every week, so... Uh, I, I don't think there's been an applicable team sport that we've seen go back into uh, play yet that we, we can really judge off. But that's still the huge question I have about all of this is just when one player tests positive, what kind of ripple effect does that all have? And there has to be a plan for proceeding forward or the whole, or the whole thing could fall apart really quickly. Yeah, um, next question from Buckeye Chief. If Michigan decides not to send students back and therefore abstains from participating in college athletics this fall, how will the Big Ten respond and what will be the fallout both short-term and long-term? Will they be forced to forfeit all their games with a score of one to nothing? That sounds like uh, he's uh, he would really like that to happen. Um, Buckeye Chief, I know that uh, that would you know that would be quite something if you just saw twelve in a row of one to nothing losses. That'd be that that would be tough. Yeah, I think there would be a lot of uh, Schadenfreude from Buckeye fans if if Michigan football had to you know forfeit the entire season. But let's hope that doesn't happen because I think we we would really like to see uh, you know all the teams be able to play this fall. And I mean certainly we want to see a rivalry game at the end of November. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that, you know, they are able to play. But in the hypothetical where it doesn't, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think that's certainly the challenge in terms of, you know, I, the vibe I've gotten from hearing Kevin Warren speak, from hearing Gene Smith speak, is that if, you know, if only one or two Big Ten teams can't play, the rest of the Big Ten is going to play. So I think they would adapt. You know, I think if, you know, if, if there were one or two teams that couldn't play and they were on, you know, the schedule, I think teams would adapt their schedule. They'd, they'd find a way to, to, to rework the schedule to, to add different Big Ten matchups in there and, and so that, you know, teams would still be able to play a full conference season if, if possible. But, I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, you think about, you know, one of the power teams in the conference, I mean, Ohio State, Fans might not look at them as a power team, but you know, compared to some of the other teams in the conference, they're they're certainly still one of the marquee teams in the Big Ten. So I think if if Michigan didn't play, you know, I mean, I think you know it 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 it, it would certainly hurt the Big Ten's product this year. And I think you know, long term, I mean, if 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 you don't play an entire season when other teams do, I mean, I think certainly that's going to be something that would set you back for a while because. Uh, you, you know, you're not you're not playing. Guys might transfer out. Uh, you're not gaining any experience, and then you'd have to catch up the next year. Uh, I, I think that would certainly set you back significantly if that happened. Yeah, I, I think that that's also just a, a tough hypothetical road to go down right now. Um, and I know it's impossible not to play the hypothetical game right now, but um, 
yeah, that would that would be quite something. And um, once again, Dan, I feel like this is the third month in a row where it's like I just have to say I have no idea how that would play out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that's 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 what's so tough about it is it's all it's still all hypotheticals. I mean, even you know, I think you know the good news, unlike you know where we were two and a half months ago, is I think we are quite confident that there is going to be college football this fall but i still think the logistics of it and the what happens if this happens type scenarios there's still so much there that that over the next three months is still going to have to be determined mm-hmm. hovenot asks i guess we, we we should probably keep this answer fairly short even though it could go on for a while how how have the last how have the past few months changed or shaped you as a journalist well, I think that kind of goes back to something I said before, and I think it ties in, you know, both with, you know, what we've seen in the past week, but also with what we've seen with COVID-19. And I think it's just, it's made me reflect a little bit more on the human side of things. And, and I've always tried to do that. I've, I've always tried to write, you know, stories about the human aspect of sports. And I've always tried to never just focus on just the wins and the losses and the statistics and all that. But I think these past few months have especially put that in perspective. You know, when you think back to where we were a couple months ago and you thought about the fact that we might not have a, a football season this year. And, you know, you think back to when there just weren't any sports on TV. And, you know, I'm someone who, you know, typically probably has a sports game on every single day. And so I think, you know, that made me reflect a little bit more just on you know the importance of sports within society and and within you know the fact you know i think you know both the situation that has unfolded over the last week and this pandemic over the last few months are both examples that have shown there are there are many things that are more important than sports and i don't think that it's not to say that diminishes the importance of sports because i think sports you know, brings people together. And I think sports gives us a lens. You know, I think especially if you think about what's going on right now, I I think sports gives us a lens into, you know, these athletes' lives. And it it gives us people we can connect with where, you know, you know, maybe if, if, if you didn't grow up in a diverse background, but you can connect to these athletes that grew up in different backgrounds than you. I, I think that gives you a lens into the human experience and, and, and helps you, you know, understand people. And I think that's always been a great thing about sports. But I just think the past few months have really made me reflect more on just the fact that it's not always about sports because I am someone who's always been a huge sports fan has always wanted to you know work in sports i think we talked about a week or two ago and i i think this has just kind of made me really you know have to reflect on that a little bit and open my eyes a little bit to just the world outside sports and and not always being just laser focused on you know sports and specifically what's happening within that sport yeah i think also it's given a chance to you know humanize athletes and coaches even further which is obviously always the goal like we never want to view them as as just athletes but at the same time obviously we're 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 sports reporters we're covering what they do on the field i think that the past few months have allowed you know when i talk to when you talk to players um about um players or their parents or whatnot about you know the coronavirus pandemic and what's that been like and i just think about marcus williamson's dad talking about how you know his 
his mother, who's in her 80s, is staying at their house. And when Marcus um, and his younger brother come over, they have to socially distance from from her and stay away from her to make sure that she stays safe. And, you know, you just hear about stories. I know Chris Olave's mom works at a hospital. Uh, Harry, Harry Miller's mom is a, is a, is a nurse, um, a scrub nurse. And, and you know, you, you hear about all of these families and what they go through. And, and I think that, you know, it is it has allowed me to, to gain a, a better understanding of them and who they are. And, you know, especially this past week, um, um, like it, it, it absolutely has um, allowed me and, and I know many others to understand, you know, this certain issue um, when it comes to, to, to injustice and, and racial dynamics and uh, how the police treat minorities and, and black people. I think that that, is, that has allowed me to see just how much of, a, of an issue that, that the players that we talk to and cover on a daily basis it is to them. And I think that that, that to me, has been one of my one of my main takeaways over the past few months. On a much lighter note, cannot Ginner, get can't get any lighter than this actually. Yeah, so get in juice ass turnaround. The zombie apocalypse hits tonight and you have to evacuate immediately. What free objects in your current residence are you taking and why? Yeah, this is going to be a tough one for me. I'll be honest because right now you know, if, if this was my apartment or, you know, the house that, that I grew up in, I'd have answers because I, I'd know. But, but right now I'm at my girlfriend's uh, mom's house. So the people who live here are her mom and, and her girlfriend or her girlfriend and my girlfriend. Um, and I just, you know, I don't have a good idea of where the bats are kept. I don't know um, what the what the best kind of random weapons are in here so this is going to be a tough one dan i you might have to take the lead here yeah i mean that's tough (laughs) that's 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 really tough i mean i just kind of think of like you know simple things like i think of the fact that like if if i'm leaving my house or my apartment i should say usually the free things i'm taking are my cell phone my wallet and my car keys and I don't know if uh, technicality. I don't know if I don't know if a, my car and my car keys are one object or two, and if my car counts because it's outside my residence. But if I'm trying to evacuate, I certainly want my mode of transportation. So if I'm allowed to include those as one, or not include the car because it's not within the walls of my apartment, uh, that would certainly be one of them. So those are just the free things that came to mind to me first, but. Because I don't, I don't really have any weapons in my apartment for attacking zombies. But um, you, you have know, nothing. Just, you don't even have like, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking like I right have stuff now, that could be turned into weapons. I'm sure. I'm yeah, just I, looking around my apartment at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm grabbing a knife from the kitchen. I'm grabbing the car keys and my phone because you allowed me to cheat, and and I'll take those two along with a knife. And I think that you know. That'll last me. I'll probably get eaten within probably 90 minutes. But as long as I have those, that'll keep me from getting eaten in a half hour. So that, that'll that be a big improvement in my life. About survive, surviving as long as possible, right? Yeah, that's. I, I will say, if I was in a survival situation, 
that would that wouldn't be good for me. I would I would go down pretty quickly. Yeah, it wouldn't go well for me either. About as about as well as that fight with Dewan Jones we talked about a couple weeks ago. Oh gosh, yeah. No, I don't. I don't need Baron Brown and throwing me anywhere. Last question, I think, is pretty easy to answer. Little Trouty asked, "Which long snapper of the past ten years would you trust the most to manage how your four hundred one k is invested?" Which yeah. I is I assume a setup to give us to have us give a nice uh, advertisement for Liam McCullough, who. Uh, was certainly who I would choose. Uh, he is someone who is a finance major at Ohio State who interned at Goldman Sachs, and he is currently uh, getting ready to play for the Las Vegas Raiders and hopefully uh, trying to make that team and have a career in the NFL. But whenever he is done playing in the NFL, I am confident that he will have a lucrative career in finance because uh, he's a very smart guy and somebody who I think works has worked really hard uh, to set himself up for a career in that, and I'm sure could give any one of us some great financial advice. I hope he's given, uh, he's investing for Damon Arnett, his uh, now current teammate on the Raiders. That would be, that'd be a good story. That would, that would be a great story. If you, if, if we were covering the Raiders, that would definitely be a, a great story. And who knows, maybe he'll be investing for other teammates as well. I know, I know I remember talking to him about it at one point. And I remember him talking about, you know, having conversations with guys on the team about that. You know, guys would come up to him and ask him for advice about stuff like that. So, you know, that's pretty cool. And I certainly, you know, you think of an NFL, you know, player's lifestyle, you know, they have downtime in the offseason. I would imagine that he will uh, be continuing to pursue that uh, when he's out of season. Yeah, maybe maybe just for a rivalry sake, I'll take his brother Roan. And so you can have Liam. I'll take Roan. Yeah, they they are both they are both smart. Uh, so I, I'm sure that Roan is going to go on to do great things as as well, and maybe the starting long snapper this year. We uh, don't know about that, but uh, most likely either be him or uh, Bradley Robinson. Probably be the uh, starting long snapper this year, and probably not a position battle we've spent a lot of time talking about. But uh, we'll. We will probably find out in a few months who the starting long snapper is. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, Dan. I, I, I will say this. You're going to be on top of that more than anybody else. Hey, I, I try. I try, I, to, you, I try to be on top. You're a top big special of, team guy. I try, to, I try to be on top of everything, so hopefully, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see We'll see how that battle unfolds. I, I admit that I don't have uh, any inside insight on, on how the long snapper battle is going to play out, but... Uh, you know, and we just haven't. Uh, we saw one practice, so really have no idea. But uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on it, and I'm sure that uh, it'll be something that will. It does sound good. I'm sure will be written about at some point uh, going into the season in terms of Ohio State having a new long snapper after so much stability at that position for the last four years. You know what I'm glad about, Dan? I'm sure that there are people early in this podcast who are like, "Oh man, I wanted to listen to this to get away from." from all of this that, that's happening in the world, all this craziness. And you know what we gave them at the end? We gave them a couple minutes of lawn snapper talk. And really that's all that that, that that's all that anybody could ask for these days. Yes. I mean I, I certainly hope that we won't get any complaints about long snapper talks because because long snappers are people too and uh, they certainly deserve some love at the end of an episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Absolutely. Thanks again to everyone for listening in uh you know we appreciate you um hearing what we have to say about a variety of different topics 
And you know, I feel you know, I feel like we should close by just you know saying everybody, you know, stay safe and you know, speak up for what you think is right. Uh, you know, we encourage you uh, to speak up for what you think is right. To listen to what people have to say at a time like this. Um, you know, we're going to be talking mostly about football in future weeks here on this podcast, but. I don't think this conversation is going to be ending nationally anytime soon. So, so continue to listen, have, have an open mind and just don't forget that the athletes we're talking about, sometimes we're going to spend more time than we should, uh, breaking down every single aspect of what these guys do on the field. But let's not forget about the players, the, the people that they are off the field, because that's an important part of who they are too. So, Thanks so much for listening in, and we'll talk to you again next week.